open your Bibles to Acts chapter 4, verse 23 through 31 for the reading of God's word. It says, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father, David, your servant said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And Lord, and now Lord, look upon the threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continue to speak the word of God with boldness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Christian, for reading. We are going to be in Acts chapter 3 and chapter 4. Tonight, the idea is to be brave. And a big part of following Christ is bravery. And so I just want to go ahead and say this is kind of an insider language night. If you are checking out Christianity, uh, this is one where you're going to listen and going to say, okay, so this is what it would be like to be a Christian. This is much more on the inside, and this is geared towards believers. This whole couple of chapters is all geared towards uh, the power the Holy Spirit gives, the need for boldness, and the need for reliance on the Holy Spirit. So week one in Acts was the idea of waiting, and we're all waiting on something. There was great consolation in that idea that like we're all waiting on something. I, uh, I heard a couple of different people talking. There were a whole bunch of girls that got together for dinner one night, I was told, and they were like, what are you waiting on? What are you waiting on? What are you waiting on? And, uh, and it was just really encouraging to find out, okay, we're waiting, and we're waiting in community, and that's what the, the church did in the first chapter. In chapter two, we see the birth of the church. It's this beautiful, bruised, messy bride of Christ, and it's always gonna be that way. It's gonna be those three things until the Lord himself returns. And so tonight in chapters three and four, we see this idea of be brave. And so let me, let me read you uh, kind of a, a thesis statement of what I wanna do tonight. Being brave is a lost art in Christianity. And tonight we aim to rediscover its purpose. Boldness is the first prayer of the church in Acts, but being brave is different than being rude which isn't in God's character, and neither is cowardice. Tonight, I want us to dig into what it means to be brave and to be bold and how it's clearly a sign followers of Jesus bear. So there's three key applications that I think you're going to see. One, you're going to see the church has a clear proclamation of Jesus. You're going to see that there's a clear understanding of who they are to please. That's going to be like really important for you, I think. And the third one is a clear dependence on the Holy Spirit for power. So without further ado, let's jump in, and we're going to just look at chunks because when you cover two chapters, you can't cover 
all of it in one swoop. So as we begin, I'm going to pray for us. Father, we are digging into two full chapters tonight, and there's no time to go word by word, which would be ideal. And so, Lord, would you put a hunger in our hearts for your word, that we might go back and study and dig and chew on what you've given us and then apply it by the power of your spirit to our lives. Lord, would you speak to us tonight, not in a way that is just this rally cry to be a little bit stronger than I have been, but would you speak to us tonight and how we need to be brave and we need to be bold by the power of your Holy Spirit for the next step you want us to take in our lives. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. So we have the first miracle that's going to happen in the first 10 verses of Acts chapter 3, the first miracle of the new church. Now we know Jesus did a bunch of miracles. He did like 40 of them around the Sea of Galilee. We have all kinds of miracles that Jesus did. And so here's the first one. It says that Peter and John, I love this, this, this team, by the way. This is going to be the team for both of these chapters. Peter is the oldest of the disciples, and John was the youngest. And so you've got, you've got like the old guy, the tough guy. He's probably like all of like 24 at this point. And, uh, and then you've got the young guy who's like a teenager. And so you've got Peter and John, both very young men, leading the way here. Um, so if you've got like that picture at your house of the disciples or you've got like little figurines and they're like all old, just shave the beard off. And like, there we go. We got young guys now. And so Peter and John, they're going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. So probably like either 9 a.m. or 3 p.m. Those are the two hours. This is going to be the 9 a.m. There's going to be a lame man who is lame from birth. And he's going to be by this gate called the beautiful gate or the triple gate. And uh, it's on the southern steps of the temple. And this is where this man is laying. They walk by him. He looks up and he basically says, help me. And here's what they say. Look at verse 6. Uh, he says, I do not have silver or gold, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. And he took him by the right hand and he raised him up. And immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And leaping up. He stood and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Let's just pause right there. You two would leap. Like, it sounds like something a kid would do, but you would leap. You'd probably see if you could do like a heel click, like all the things, right? Maybe a double heel click. You would try it because you've never been able to walk before. This is an incredible moment. And so there's this guy who's like jumping around. And it would just be, it would be joyful, it would be overwhelming, and it would be troubling altogether to see somebody who has always been unable to walk, now like walking and leaping. And so that's why they included the leaping, because they wanted you to know he wasn't just like, he wasn't behaving well in church. He was like very, very happy about what had happened. And every once in a while, it's good when you see somebody who is so moved by the Lord that like they don't behave that well in church. You're like, hey, you don't have to sing that loud. Hey, you don't have to like raise your hand that much. Hey, like I get it. Like maybe you don't get it. Maybe it's been a long time since something like that happened, since you've seen somebody's heart stirred like this. And so this guy, he is praising God. Look at verse nine. All the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. They were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So I just want to pause right here and talk about miracles for just a second. I think the first question is, do I, do I think, me personally, and it doesn't really matter that much what I think about miracles. The question is, do they exist? 
Well, I do think they exist, and I have seen things happen in people's lives before that are miraculous. We've heard stories of people's lives where miraculous things happen. I just want to see if we're on the same page. If you could, just quickly, like this has got to be a quick one because we've got miles to go. Just to the person right beside you, like, do you believe in miracles? Do you think they still exist? Or is it just like a Bible time thing? And extra credits, like, no, 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 I know someone. Ready? Go. Okay. I believe that you've at least had enough time to talk about it. Okay, show of hands. Show of hands, like, this is where, this is like, remember, we're talking about boldness tonight, so just be bold. Um, who, I'm just going to go ahead and start. Who is like, I'm pretty sure they don't happen like this anymore? I see a few. I saw like a little, yeah. All right, I saw that. I saw a couple of those. Okay, who's like, I'm pretty sure I've just never seen one. I, I, I believe it, I've just never seen one. Okay, who's like, yeah, and I've kind of witnessed one. Okay. Now, one, and like, you might be like, ah, oh, Thomas, you got me. Like, the biggest miracle is not this. The biggest miracle is when someone whose heart is hard towards the things of God gets melted by the love of God. And God exchanges that hard heart for what the Bible calls a heart of flesh. And they become a follower of the Lord. My friend Brent in, uh, in college, who I met because he started to get in a fight with the professor, uh, he, like, they moved desk and they were coming towards each other. Another story for another day, wild moment. Brent one day said that he wanted to come to church with me because that's where good girls were, and I was like, Lord, help us. It was like a prophecy for my future. It was like what I would be working with the rest of my life. Um, and so I was like, okay, this is great. Uh, I'm just kidding, boys. Um, to almost all of you. And so, like, but there was this moment when I thought Brent is the most dangerous person I know, the most volatile. Brent is now a born-again believer, married a girl who her dad was a pastor, and they are, uh, he's a student pastor out in Texas now. I watched God do a miracle in his life. But now in 2021, in January, a nail went into my left eye, and a lot of you know the story of that. A nail went all the way through my eye, through the globe, into the muscle that's in the corner of your eye. Didn't even know there were muscles in your eye. And, uh, and so had to have like emergency surgery after seven hours of the nail in my eye. And they had to like take the muscle off of my eye. And I, you, this is a good reason to be like knocked out when these things happen. And uh, I didn't know what was happening. I just knew that before I went under, the anesthesiologist uh, put his hand on my shoulder and said, I'm right here with you. And I said, I'm glad because I'm scared. And he said, I would be too, but I'm right here with you. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, we were, it was so comfort comforting up until that moment. And, uh, and so I remember waking up from surgery and they told me there would be a bandage over my eye. They told me I might not have an eye when I came out of surgery. They had to tell, tell me all these things. And the first thing I did was open my eye to see if I could see anything. And I was like, okay, I know I still have an eye. And I think I can see something. But everything for a few weeks was incredibly, incredibly blurry. And there were, I mean, I had hundreds and hundreds of text messages. There were people in Texas that were like, we don't know you, but we've heard of you and we're praying for you. It was, it was incredible. So since then, I've talked to several ophthalmologists who said, 
who didn't know the whole full story, and they said, so can you see me now? And I said, oh, yeah, I have almost complete vision in my left eye. And they said, that's a miracle. I said, you should have lost that eye. And multiple doctors. So I told a doctor this one time, and she said, yeah, good thoughts. I get it. And I was like, no, 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 prayer. She was like, yeah, good thoughts. I was like, okay. So I think miracles still definitely happen, but I just want to real quick tell you three things about miracles. This is like a real sub-point. I told you a long story, but this is a sub-point. Miracles are to draw people's attention away from physical distraction and bring divine focus. That's what we see in Acts 3, 6 through 9. Miracles open a door for the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that otherwise would have stayed closed. We see that in this story as well. But miracles, lastly, in my three brief summary points of miracles, do not ensure that someone has a relationship with the Lord. In Matthew 11, 20 through 24, Jesus curses the city that he spent the most time in, Capernaum. He curses Capernaum above the Old Testament towns of Sodom and Gomorrah. The reason he curses those towns is because he said, if the miracles that I had done in front of you were done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented long ago in dust and ashes. So if someone says, if I could just see a miracle, I would then believe. Just know that miracles have long been a doorway to the gospel, but never an assurance that someone would enter. Very important to remember this. So after this first miracle, we get the whole rest of this chapter, verses 11 through 26. And it's incredible. Peter is going to have an audience now, and John. They're going to have an audience And people are going to come. There's this place called Solomon's Porch. It's the portico. They gather around, and they're they're proclaiming clearly the gospel here. I'll read you a few verses. Once he gets this audience, look at verse 19. Peter says, repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come. That, that's a great line, by the way. I have that underlined in my Bible. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for the restoring of all things about which God has spoken by the mouths of the holy prophets long ago. And he goes on and he preaches more and more. And then you get to the last verse. Look at verse 26. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. And so to summarize this incredible sermon that wouldn't have happened if that miracle had not occurred, if that, blind, if that lame man had not been healed, raised up by the right hand, jumping, leaping, going to church, that's how this audience gets formed. Peter could not have had this audience. He couldn't have delivered this sermon. And what Peter says in this sermon is, look, here's what coming Jesus will mean for you. Hear me on this, because some of you are Christians and you've kind of lost your way. You've forgotten, like, what are the benefits of Christ? He says three things in Acts 3, 19 through 21 and 26. He says, one, there will be a blotting out of sins. 
When you come to Jesus, you get the blotting out of your sins. They're over, they're forgiven, past, present, and future. It's amazing that God forgives our past. And that, I mean, it's like fascinating that he forgives our past, but it's also equally, maybe even more impressive that he forgives the future sins. We don't even know what they're gonna be. But he blots out our sins. And then he gives us times of refreshing and some of you have had that this past year, these past few months, you've like had this time of refreshing where you're like, man, I finally found some Christian community. I finally got somebody that I can pour my heart out to. I finally got people that are praying for me. And some of you are not yet there. But he does give these times of refreshing. And then lastly, he turns us from our wickedness. And I like how Peter doesn't mix words here. He's not like, he like frees you from some sins that you struggle with. Because that's how we say it in the modern world. We say, oh, are you struggling with this? Peter calls it what it is. He calls it wickedness. Because he's not talking about a human interaction. He's talking about our actions compared to a holy God. And so he calls a spade a spade here. And that's a great pause. When was the last time you had one of these three moments. You, you remembered the gospel that your sins were blotted out. You truly had a time of refreshing. Or when was the last time that some wickedness that used to plague your life was shed from it? And by the way, it's never fun to walk into that place where the conviction of the Lord hits your heart. And you feel like you're under a heat lamp. And all you can see is that thing he keeps pointing out to you. But it is because of his goodness that he does this. And once again, just like in Acts chapter 2, these people are cut to the core. Look at chapter 4, verse 4. And it says, But many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. So once again, we have a major awakening Tons of people come to faith, and they come to faith not by talking about, like, how to have a better life, how to be a better person, how to, like, pick up some new habits, like, how to get dates better, how to, like, break up smoother, like, do you text, do you call? Like, not, it wasn't any of those things. It was all about Jesus. And it was a bold, clear proclamation of, look, Jesus blots your sins. He gives you times of refreshing, and he removes the wickedness from your life. And the people were like, sign me up. I need that. And the rest of the chapter takes kind of an unexpected turn. We're about to see the theme of boldness take over. We've seen them be bold, but now there's going to be a theme of boldness that's going to take over for the rest of chapter 4. I need you to know a couple of things. One is that boldness for Christ is not something we can conjure up. All right? It's not like when you were seven and you were going to take your bike and like ride it over the jump and you were like, I can do it. And your friends were like, you can do it. And they were like, I can do it. I can, we can do it. Let's do it. And then somebody gets hurt really bad. It's not like you can just like conjure up boldness for Jesus. Like, let me go get one more Jesus tattoo and then I'll be like a good Christian and I'll like tell everybody about the Lord. Like, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a, something we can like manufacture and we're gonna see that. But let me tell you something else. When the Lord does something incredible in your life because the Lord just did something incredible in all these thousands of people's lives and John and Peter's life 
and the lame beggar's life, when the Lord does something incredible in your life, you can just about always expect Murphy's Law here. You can just about always expect something bad to happen next. Like, I promise you, it's just the way it works. And so if you're like, I was doing so good. I was having my quiet time, and I was like tithing, and like I was like, like I was, I was like about to share my faith with somebody, and, and then I got sick, and I got hurt, or I got broken up with, or this, or, of course you did. Like, of course you did. The Satan hates it when the gospel starts working in your life and it starts to overflow out of your life. Like, the enemy hates that. It's all through the gospels. Something great happens, Jesus gives one of his best sermons. He goes to Nazareth and he gives this sermon and he says, he reads this passage from Isaiah and then he sits down and he says, today in your hearing, this scripture has been fulfilled. He's telling them, I'm the Messiah, I'm right here sitting in front of you. They take him up to a cliff and try to throw him off. We see it over and over and over again. If something great happens in your life that the Lord does, it's not, it's not always going to happen, but you can kind of expect like, what's Satan gonna throw at me? And so here's what happens. Look at verse five. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they set them down in their midst, they inquired, by what power, what name did you do this? P.S., that was after they spent the night in jail. So we have our first miracle of the new church and we have our first arrest in the new church and they're back to back. And now that they're arrested and they're sitting there and they have to answer to these guys. Remember, this is Peter who the last time he faced these folks denied Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. The last time he was around these people in this place was his darkest hour when he betrayed his best friend and walked away. And so, there's something really, really crucial in verse 8. It does not say, then Peter, who remembered his past and rallied, said to them. No, in verse 8 it says, then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified with God raised from the dead, by him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is no other name under heaven by which, which is given among men by which men must be saved. And when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. There's so many things about this that I just, it just like kind of fires me up. This, this is the, the moment. Peter had a chance to walk away once again with his head held low and say, I won't do that again. 
But in this moment, this time, the difference is Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. And as he's filled with the Holy Spirit, he's able to stand before the people that crucified Jesus who had equal authority to crucify him. And this time he doesn't walk away and say, I don't know him, I don't know him, I don't know him. This, this time he says, I know him and you killed him. And he's the one that saved this man and you killed him because you rejected him. And he's the cornerstone, by the way. Like, he didn't stop. You're like, Peter, we get it. Like, you should calm down now. They are going to kill us. Peter doesn't stop. He's like, by the way, he starts to quote from Psalm 118. I'll just go ahead and tell you how Psalm 118 right, reads. It says, the, the cornerstone rejected by the builders. He has become the chief, the capstone. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Did you know that verse, this is the day the Lord has made, I'll rejoice and be glad in it, is about the crucifixion day? The day that everyone rejected the cornerstone? The day that Jesus became the cornerstone for all? And this tells us a whole lot. In a teaching meeting last week, we were talking about this verse and what this verse tells us, where Peter quotes from Psalm 118, is that if Jesus is the cornerstone and he's building a church, we're a part. We're like another little block in the church. We're a part of the church. We don't get saved to go be on our own and live our own little version of a Christian life. We get saved to be a part of a whole. Like you and me, we're all like stones next to each other. And we didn't get a choice about that. It's just what happens when you become a believer. That's why Christian fellowship, Christian accountability is so important because we are stuck beside each other. And Peter understood that. And I love this bold, incredibly bold moment. There's a clear proclamation of Jesus and there's a clear understanding of who they are to please. Look at verses 19 and 20 because they keep telling them to stop talking, stop talking, stop talking. And Peter says, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. I want you to understand. Peter and John had the same convictions that you and I ought to have. Their authorities told them to shut up about Jesus. But they knew there is one authority above all authorities. And people ask this question all the time. When is it okay to be more Christian than more whatever the law says? Whenever the law contradicts what God says, you be more Christian than the law. Now fortunately, in the United States, you don't have a lot of reasons to break the laws for the sake of Jesus. That means you and I have been given a cush upper hand in living out our faith. But there are places all over the world that Christians have to wrestle with this idea in Romans 13 all the time. I need to honor my authorities until my authorities tell me to disavow my, my relationship with Jesus. And then they have to decide, am I willing to take the consequences? And this is the place that Peter and John were in, and they decided, I'm willing to take the consequences. It's more important to honor God than it is any human authority. In this moment, 
They basically slapped on the hand and they're let go. There will come a time, church history tells us, that it stops, it stops working out like that for Peter. Peter, when he finally gets shipped off to Rome, because of his witness for Christ, is crucified. But not crucified like Jesus. Church history tells us that Peter said, crucify me if you will. I will not deny my Lord, but don't crucify me like my Lord. You crucify me upside down. I'm not worthy to die like he did. And so then they leave and they have their first recorded prayer gathering. We know from Acts 2, the end of the chapter, that they had many prayer gatherings. But this is the first one where we know what they prayed about. And this is really important because a lot of you gather and you pray together. What you see in Acts 4, 23 to 31, which is what Christian read as we started tonight, is you see they gather and they pray and they use the Psalms. Why did the, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? I mean, verses uh, 25 and 26, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. They gather and they continue to pray. They quote the Psalms. But if you look at verse 29, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Verse 31, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. I've been thinking about this passage for, uh, for a week now, usually on Tuesday night when I get home, I have like a crisis of faith and I wonder if anything made sense and, uh, and then I, like I spend some time praying for you and I spend some time thinking about all the things I could have said different and usually at some point Heather's like, can you go to bed? And I'm like, yes. Um, <clears throat> and so then I go to bed and I lay in bed and I think about all the things that could have gone different or better. And, uh, and then Wednesday, I'm like, okay, Lord, it's a new week. Help me start over. And so Wednesday, I start thinking about the following week. And, uh, and I was thinking about this passage for a couple of days. Sunday night, I, uh, I went to bed and I woke up late Sunday night, early Monday morning with this incredibly burdensome thought. And the thought is that some of you will never know or need the full power of the Lord. You will never pray for boldness. And I'm telling you, like, it was like this like, heartbreaking moment where I woke up and I was like, I think there's going to be a bunch of people Tuesday night who will never pray for boldness. And the reason you won't pray for boldness is because you don't have a kingdom faith. You don't have a faith that's about like the Lord moving and the Lord changing people's lives. You have like a small, small version of faith. You only need the Lord to do like a few things, like help you find a, sp help you find a spouse or like help you get a job or help you keep a job. Like your, your view of God is so tiny But some of you get this. And some of you are like, that used to be my view. I used to think of God as like, I need to go to him for like, like these moments where I'm like, oh, I need some help with this, I need some help with this, I need some help with this. And something happened and you started to understand you're a part of a whole. And you started to understand that we stand on the shoulders of giants. People like Peter, 
who were filled with the Holy Spirit, crucified upside down to get the message of Jesus out. Those are the shoulders that we stand on. And at some point you started thinking, you know what? My life is not my own. Lord, you do with it what you want. And you become like untethered and you're dangerous at that point. And you're like, Lord, fill me and use me. And better to be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to be outside of it. And so I'll do whatever you want. Just let me in and let me be a part of you and let me help build this church up. And all of a sudden when that happens, and I know some of you and I see some of you and you're kind of like quietly nodding your heads and you're like, that's me. And you're, I'm like, I know that's you. Like I know that's you because you are hungry and you have been affected and effected for the Lord and by the Lord. You know, I... I so I like, uh, I like, here's a few things I like. I like CrossFit. I like running. I like hunting. I like building things. Heather's, I can't have any more likes because Heather's like all those cost money. Um, I, like, I like a lot of things. And so I like to look up the people online. Like I look to, like to look up Rich Froning, who um, if you don't know who he is, that's fine. But Rich is like the man. And so he's like the CrossFit king. And so I like to look up Rich and I'm like, what's Rich training? And I'm like, ooh, Rich front squatted 390 pounds. I will never front squat 390 pounds. I probably won't fr front squat half of 390 pounds. Like, it's incredible. And so, like, I like watching these folks. I like watching, uh, like, Tommy Caldwell, the, the nine-fingered uh, phenom climb, uh, the Dawn Wall. I like, like, I like watching these folks do these things. Um, I, I, like, I've kind of gotten into spear fishing a little bit because um, one of my friends has all the gear. And so, like, I don't have to buy any gear, sweetheart. Um, <laughs> That's why my mustache is gone, by the way. I went spearfishing and I had to shave my mustache because the goggles like wouldn't fit my face. Like it kept, water kept coming in. And so I had to shave my mustache. And so anyway, like there's these people that are like really good at spearfishing and, uh, and they can hold their breath for like multiple minutes. And I'm like, oh, that's incredible. I wonder if I could go down 50 feet and hold my breath and hang onto a rock and shoot a fish and not get eaten by a shark. Like all the things, right? And so, but the problem is like I'm just a novice. Like, I'm not a beginner in a lot of the things, but I'm certainly not an expert. I'm like a novice, and I'm okay with being a novice, and I'm okay with them being celebrities. I'm okay with them, like, being awesome in their little world. But it's real easy to read the Bible and see Peter and John heal this guy and do this incredible thing, see the women of the Bible follow Jesus and live their lives for him and then like open their homes and like and, and have this incredible ministry for the Lord. It's really easy to see these people and view them like I view these like hobby celebs. Like I'll never be like them. But that's where the breakdown starts to happen because you you have the same spirit that lived in Peter and John living in you. And so there's like this call for Christian greatness, this reckless abandon. Lord, fill me with your spirit and make me bold and you, you use these guys. And yes, they were awesome, but the same you that lived in them is the same you that lives in me. Use me, Lord. Let me make a difference for you. Get me out of my own little life. And so I just, I want to talk about being bold just for another couple of minutes and then we'll like land the plane and we'll, we'll call it a night. But look, courage, boldness, it's the first prayer in the New Testament church. They don't get together and pray for comfort. They don't get together and pray that everything will be okay. They get together and pray that the ship that they are riding in will get stronger so they can get through the storm. They pray for boldness, not comfort. 
And that's super important, and it's not nuanced. It is a big difference. We don't need to pray for every little thing to get smoother and better. We need to pray that God will use the situation for his glory no matter how hard the wind blows. Look, I've got a whole list of verses I want to show you. I'll, I'll start there. I'll put them up on the screen, and here they are. Romans 1.16, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Ephesians 6.18 through 20, Paul says, pray for me to have the boldness that I should. 2 Corinthians 12.9, Paul says, look, I've got weakness, and God, may you make my weakness perfect in your strength. Philippians 1.20, Paul says, I expect to have sufficient courage for the Lord. Ephesians 3.12, this one's interesting. It says to be bold before the presence of God. How in the world do you have the audacity to be bold before the presence of God, but timid before the presence, before the presence of mere mortals? Proverbs 29.25 echoes this. The fear of man is a snare. And then Jesus gives a full-on discourse in Matthew 10, 16 through 33, where he says, don't fear man, but fear God who can destroy the body and the soul. You see, Christian courage is really a sign of being a Christian. Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father. What Peter and John are doing by speaking boldly for the Lord, on behalf of the Lord, to the gospel, is actually just showing that they belong to the Lord. When you are bold in your faith, when I am bold in my faith, it is a proclamation to the world that we have been born again. Look, why, why do we value safety so much anyway? Last Wednesday, Heather and I went for a run, like a run on pavement, like pavement. It was a 5K, right? Like, you could, you could crawl a 5K. Like, it was a 5K. Like, we're like, I'm doing like a nine-minute mile. That's a little bit of a lie. Maybe like a 930. And so anyway, like, maybe a 10. I don't know. I'm doing this, like, little run. And, uh, and Heather's, like, right behind me running. And I got bit by a dog. <laughs> like, it's like a 5K. Like, on a paved trail. Like, in the daytime. Like, it was like 6 p.m. I got bit by a dog. I walked by. I jogged by this couple. And, uh, and they're like standing there talking, and their dog, I look out of the corner of my mouth, and here comes teeth. And I was like, what just happened? And I guess I was holding the part of my anatomy that it bit when I ran off my derriere. And, uh, and the, guy, the guy said, it was, like a, it was like a comedy scene out of a movie, and the guy said, I'm so sorry. And I was like, uh-huh. And he was like, <laughs> and I guess I was holding my derriere, and he said, did she get you? And I said, I think so. And when Heather caught up to me, she was like, you know, there's a hole in your shorts. And I was like, I got bit by that dog. And so, like, we value safety so much. We're so concerned, like, this, this boldness that the Lord asked me to have. You can get bit by a dog on a 5K run. Like, life is dangerous. Something is going to get you. Like, something will get you at some point. Like, nobody makes it forever. Like, we will all go unless the Lord comes back. So why not go out in a blaze of glory? Why not go out like guns a blazing? And I mean that in like a, like a loving way. I don't mean that like in a, like in a bad, like shoot them up way. I just mean like it's an expression. It's 2022. You got to be careful. And so like I just mean like why not go out all out for the Lord? Why not be the weird one? Where people are like, I mean, I wish I loved God like they did. Like love God like your dog loves you. Not like that dog bit me, but like that, like you love God like your dog loves you and you'll be like more saintly than John the Baptist. That's the boldness that these guys had. 
And they had it because they were filled by the Holy Spirit, not just because they conjured it up. I have this picture on my, on my wall uh, in my office. I've had it since I was a senior in high school. You know how you get gifts when you're a senior in high school? This is the only one I ever kept. And it's a little verse, Proverbs 28.1. The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. The reason that verse was given to me, I think, was because I was so timid in my early Christianity. But someone saw this like Wizard of Oz scene where I bore the image of the lion, but I was missing my courage. And it was other believers in community who helped me to know the Lord and walk with the Lord and receive the courage of the Lord. You bear the image of the lion if you're in Christ. And therefore you have his heart. The question is, will you take it? I don't want us to have a wrong understanding about boldness. It's not all going to the mission field. Boldness can start in giving your money to the Lord. Boldness can start in serving. Boldness can start in confronting a friend. Boldness can start in receiving a rebuke. Proper boldness hinges on a dependence of the Holy Spirit. Some of you need boldness to break up with somebody. Some of you need boldness to establish God-honoring physical boundaries. Some of you need boldness to propose for crying out loud. Some of you need boldness to not emotionally defraud people as you get to know them. Some of you need boldness to quit your job. Some of you need boldness to stay in your job. Some of you need boldness to trust that the Lord made you fearful and fearfully and wonderfully, and so in modesty you need that boldness. Some of you need boldness to talk to your roommates about the Lord. Some of you need boldness to receive a rebuke from the Lord. Some of you need boldness in your speech, in your accountability. Some of you, you need a second chance to be bold. The beauty of this story is it comes as a second chance story. Peter failed miserably the first time. And God gave him a second chance. I'm reminded of Proverbs 24, 16. Though a righteous man stumbles seven times, he will get back up. And in Christ, if you are in Christ, and you've failed in some aspect of being bold for him, maybe tonight he's calling you to a second chance. But the only way we really pass the test, the only way we really stand bold for him, is not to rally some sort of internal courage. No, the way we stand bold for him is we seek to be filled with his spirit. 
to have his heart and his courage and his speech and his time and his way. And so I think tonight is a, is a sweet night to really seek what happened at the end of this chapter. To seek prayer in community. One of the best things you can do is have someone else pray over you and for you. This is for the most advanced, mature Christians and the most baby Christians. This is for everyone. Maybe it's time to either go back to the prayer team in the back as we worship, to turn to someone next to you and to say, you know what, the Lord's calling me to be faithful in an area. And I just don't have the strength of my own to do it. That's perfect. That means you need to be filled with the Spirit to be bold for the Lord. Boldness from God is when you can't do it on your own. Let me pray for us. Father, I'm so encouraged in this incredible book, Lord. The church waits and we all wait. The church is born and it's beautiful and bruised and messy just like we are. And then the church knows that it needs to be bold. And Lord, we stand on the shoulders of so many who have been bold, but not just bold on their own ability, Lord. No, bold by the power and the filling of your Holy Spirit. And so tonight, Lord, we ask that you would convict us and move us to do things that we cannot do on our own strength, no matter how strong we are. Because, Lord, that's when boldness kicks in, a filling of your spirit to do something we could not do on our own. Lord, move in our hearts tonight. Call us to be filled with your spirit and to do something that we could never do on our own for your name and your glory, that the gospel may go out. And for anyone here, Lord, who has not experienced the beauty and benefits of their sins being blotted out, those times of refreshing and freedom from our wicked ways, Lord, may they say yes to you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.